You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. So welcome at home, welcome here in this room, and we're so thankful that uh, we can gather wherever we are. So, man, I'm just feeling really good. My heart is full this morning, and so it's good to see everybody. We are continuing to work through the book of Matthew, and so if you have a Bible, let's open it up to chapter 19, chapter 19, starting in verse 10. So last week we talked about the sacredness of marriage, and today we're going to look at a different angle, and the sacredness of singleness, maybe singleness for the sake of the kingdom. And as I was thinking about this this week, I remember my college days, and I don't know if this is still a thing for squirrely young college boys, shall we say, men. Um, we had this phrase when I was in college that some of us wanted to champion, and it was bachelor till rapture. Does that ring a bell for anybody? No? Yeah? Yeah? Bachelor till rapture. You were in the club, Benjamin? So, man, there was, these guys I ran with, you know, we were high on zeal, zealous for Christ, low on maturity, right? Really spazzy. You would have thought we were on drugs. I promise you we were as sober as an AA meeting, okay? Um, But, man, there was this, like, man, bachelor to rapture and... Meaning, and some of you might not be familiar with the term rapture if you weren't raised in a certain kind of church, but basically that means I'm going to be a bachelor until Jesus comes back and we sold out for the kingdom, no distractions, right? We're going to be a bachelor until Jesus raptures the church in the end times. Who needs girls? Sold out for the king. Nothing's going to slow me down, no distractions, no one taking my money. Right? And for most of us, that lasted about five minutes till a pretty Christian girl walked by. So we had this hyper zeal for maximizing our lives for Jesus, but with a 20-year-old level of maturity and thoughtfulness about the future. And the other problem was that, the other problem with that phrase is, um, I don't even think the Bible talks about the rapture like we thought about it back then. And we'll get to that when we get to Matthew chapter 24. So you can send me some messages then if you'd like. So bachelor to rapture. Singleness is the way to go. Singleness is the true, hardcore way to live for Christ. Well, in our text for today, we're going to see that the disciples felt something similar, but probably for different motivations, okay? The disciples were thinking, man, I, I, I wonder if singleness is the way to go. I wonder if singleness is the way to go in this life. Now look with me at verse 10, okay? The disciples said to him, being Jesus, if such is the case for a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. Okay, so where are we here? We need some orientation. They say this phrase, if such is the case, if what is the case, 
is what we should be asking right now of our Bibles, right? Great question. So to start with today, we've got to connect with where we were last week. And if you were gone last week, I'd recommend you go back and maybe listen to the podcast, give it a listen, and it'll make today's text kind of land with more power. Why would the disciples be saying it's better not to marry? Well, Jesus said in our text last week, he said a lot of things. He's in a little, little um, debate with the Pharisees about divorce and marriage. And basically, Jesus says to the Pharisees that are questioning him, disciples listening in, no, you can't just get divorced for any reason that you want. Marriage is designed by God for human flourishing. Not all humans, but some humans flourishing. And you can't just enter into this covenant and break it off for whatever reason you want. Now, that was a big debate among Jewish leaders in Jesus' day. And they're asking Jesus to weigh in, and he weighs in. He says, no, you can't just divorce for whatever reason you want. She doesn't cook well. She doesn't look good to you anymore. She's nagging you too much. That doesn't matter. We're going to work it out, okay? Those reasons are not legitimate, Jesus says, okay? So that's the backdrop. Jesus brings some clarity on the sacredness of this covenant called marriage that God designed from the very beginning of creation as a foundation for how the world operates, And so now, with that in mind, look at verse 10 again. The disciples said to him, well, this is the case of a man with his wife. It is better not to marry. Now, this is an interesting statement from them, right? Think about why is it that they would say that? Now, for them, they're they're a product of their culture, just like we are. Okay. Their default settings were set by the culture. They're in process of having their default settings adjusted by Jesus, but they haven't arrived yet, just like we haven't arrived yet. Right? And they saw guys around them divorcing for any reason whatsoever, any reason they deemed necessary. And Jesus comes along and he says to his disciples, that's not my way of doing things. That's not God's way of doing things. That's not the Bible's way of doing things. Marriage is way more sacred than you guys are making it, than the culture is making it. And he basically says to them, as we're going to see in a second, you guys are making the attractiveness of marriage contingent on the possibility of easy divorce. See that? That's what they're saying here. Like, if I can't just get divorced for whatever reason, any reason that pleases me or any reason that I desire, well, it's better not to get married then. That sounds pretty strict. That sounds pretty hard. This woman doesn't give me what I want. Out she goes. And Jesus says, nope. And they say, well, marriage, hmm, not so sure. Listen to this quote from a commentary I read this week. The question should have been, how can a man use this marvelous institution for the benefit of his wife, himself, his children to be, his fellow man in God's kingdom? These men did not as yet fully understand that the spirit of love, service, and sacrifice, 
the very attitude of their master must be applied to every relationship of life, also to that of marriage. So that was not their perspective, okay? Jesus, marriage, as you lay it out here, sounds pretty hard, so mm, marriage, no thanks. Now look at how Jesus responds. This is interesting. You would think that this could be a time for Jesus just to bring a sharp rebuke. Like, guys, you don't get it. And Jesus, he does do that once in a while. But not here. His comments are very, very fascinating. Let's look at verse 11. He says to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. So what is the this saying? It's what the disciples said in verse 10. They're saying that it's better not to marry. Not everyone can accept this call to not get married. That's what Jesus says here. But there are people to whom it has been given. Meaning they have a willingness to accept the call to singleness. A a life without sexual activity, a life without maybe the the constant companionship, uh, oneness in in the same way as marriage. Said positively, a life with increased freedom, Freedom with time and money and decision-making. A life of maybe less stress, of having to be constantly thinking about people in a biological family. And those folks can, you love them so much, but they can let you down. They can break your heart. And some people have a calling to singleness that is given, quote, given, see Jesus' words, from the Lord. Okay? And then he gives some cultural examples here, okay? So we got to kind of climb into the world of the Bible here a little bit. And this won't really hit home for us, but the Bible has it here, so let's try to make sense of it. Verse 12. So he says, some people will be single. Some people, that's been given to them. And then he explains using a cultural example for his guys back then. Verse 12. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. Okay, so what is a eunuch? Okay, it's not a super comfortable, polite explanation, all right? But we're all adults here. And so we have to understand what the Bible is talking about here. Um, We can't avoid what the Bible presents. Like, just incidentally, this is why expository preaching, where we just go through verses and and chapter by chapter, is a really good thing. Because I would never want to stand in front of you and explain to you what a eunuch is. (laughs) But the Bible talks about it. So we shouldn't avoid it. Okay? Okay. Uh, and that's good, because if, if we didn't do that, there's been so many things that I would avoid. There's a lot of things in the Bible that make me uncomfortable. But it's in there because it's God's word. And so there's a reason why it's in there. And so we don't want to avoid what God has given. And so that's why it's so good to just walk through large sections of, of Scripture, namely books of the Bible. So here's the deal. A eunuch was someone who didn't have normally functioning sexual organs, Okay? And Jesus reminds his guys 
in his culture, there were various reasons for this. And some people, sadly, are just born this way. Like some people are born with hands that don't work right. Some people are born with, um, you know, mental disabilities. And some people are born with sexual disabilities. And in the new heavens and new earth, the day that we all long for, God says he's going to make our bodies from head to toe all right. Perfectly functioning, perfectly how they were originally created, right? We all long for that day. We all have things that don't work right, whether we're born with something outside the norm or not, right? So some people, Jesus says here, verse 12, are born with bodies that are outside what is the norm of human functioning. Now, some in the ancient world, he gives a second reason. Some in the ancient world were made this way through the violence of castration. Many times men would be castrated so they could be trusted to work in the harem of a king. And like the king wouldn't want, I think this is the line of thinking. I didn't go deep into this study, but I think the line of thinking is the king whatever, like in the Old Testament or the pagan kings wouldn't want their line to be polluted by some other man. And so they would have eunuchs that would be in charge of their harem, okay? Um, and there are other reasons that, that men would be castrated in, in the ancient world. That's neither here nor there. But then Jesus says this, and we're going to focus on this for the rest of the sermon. Look at it in verse 12. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus here turns it from literal to metaphorical. Okay? He's not saying that, they've, that people have literally castrated themselves. But what he means here is that people that have refrained from marriage and normal sexual functioning in marriage, why? For the sake of the kingdom. See that there? They choose to remain single for the sake of the kingdom. For the sake of the kingdom. By faith, they believe that a single life will maximize their effectiveness in the kingdom of God. And there's other biblical evidence for this. If you consider Paul's letter to the Corinthian Christians, he says a similar thing. Look at verse 32. It'll be on the screen uh, of 1 Corinthians 7. He says this. He's writing to a church in Corinth, and they're asking questions about marriage. And we, there's a lot of context we could get into here. Um, but just, I just want you to see what he says here. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, or using our words for the text today, for the kingdom how to please the Lord, or how to seek first the kingdom. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided, okay? Now, we know from Paul's other writings, he's not saying that everybody should be single. He has a very high view of marriage. But he also has a very high view of singleness. Paul himself was single, okay? His point, though, is clear, that if you're single... You can be more singularly focused on the kingdom of God, right? 
can use your time for the sake of the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says this, whether you eat or you drink, do all things for the glory of God. And I think Paul would say the same thing and Jesus would say the same thing. Whether you're married or you're single, both are great, just do it with a purpose, for the glory of God. Okay? Both are good. Whatever you do it, do it for the sake of the kingdom. Married or single, do it for the sake of the kingdom. See, he's responding to Jesus, uh, his disciples. Remember what they were thinking? They're thinking singleness out of selfishness. And Jesus and Paul are saying, don't just stay single because you're selfish. Stay single for the sake of the kingdom. See the difference? So here's the big point I want us to grasp from our text for today. Your marriage or your singleness should be purposeful. Okay? Should be purposeful for the sake of God and his glory and not just selfishly motivated by what sounds most comfortable to you. Okay? Does that make sense? Let me say that again. Your marriage or your singleness should be purposeful. Either I'm choosing to get married, and my vision for marriage comes from Ephesians 5, that this marriage covenant exists, designed by God, to display the glory of the gospel in the world. That's what I'm about. I'm about displaying the glory of the gospel in the world. I'm not just getting married because I'm physically attracted. I'm not just getting married because we can make more money together. I'm not just getting married because it's what everybody says you're supposed to do. No, I'm, I have purpose in getting married. Same with being single. Jesus says the purpose should be, if you choose singleness, or singleness is just what you have right now, do it for the glory of God. Do it for the glory of God. Do it for the sake of expanding the kingdom. And whether you want to be single or you don't want to be single, the end result can still be the same. Man, Lord, I don't want to stay single, but I'm going to give my singleness now to you for your sake and your glory to see your kingdom expand in this world. So it's purposeful, not selfishly motivated, okay? So this morning in closing, I want us to think real practically because Jesus is talking about singleness. I want to kind of fast forward to 2021 and talk about singleness in the church, okay? And I fear that in church culture in general, at least probably the churches that I've participated in, probably five different local churches in my lifetime, I think sometimes singleness is underemphasized, okay? As like a true option that people should consider. Like our culture, you just have to be paying attention for about five seconds. Our culture idolizes sex, right? The Bible doesn't. It's a good gift. God created it. It's never to be an idol to be worshipped. But our culture does that. And to have a spouse and, and have a romantic relationship, that's a good thing. It's a good gift. Bible clearly says that. But the Bible also says that, as we've seen, singleness is a viable option. Not to be looked down on, right? You don't have to be married and having sex, despite what the culture says, 
or just having sex, period, and not married, to, to, to truly live a satisfying, God-glorifying life, right? The, the assumptions of the culture and all the music and, that we listen to and all the movies that we watch say one thing about sex or maybe relationships, and the Bible says a different thing. It's not something to be worshipped. It's not something that you have to have to be whole and flourishing, right? The Bible doesn't present it that way. And at the Vine Church, here's the thing, we never want to be a church that implicitly sends the message that married people are living the truly blessed life and single people are made to feel like second-class citizens. May that never be. May it never be explicit from me or anybody else that stands up here, and may it never be implicit by just kind of what you pick up. So in closing, I want to consider seven things about singleness, or just seven kind of thoughts about singleness or how married folks or, or biological families should re- relate to single folks for the sake of the unity of our church, the Vine family, okay? So here we go. Number one, you've got to remember your Bible, okay? Jesus, Paul, John the Baptist, like three of the pillars, if not the pillars of the New Testament, all single. So never think that the single life is a demotion from God. The Bible will not allow it. So, so we as a church, we, sh- we shouldn't go there. We shouldn't let our thoughts go there, right? Singleness is absolutely suitable role for many people in the church and in God's kingdom, okay? So that should be clear theologically, clear biblically. The Bible never says that you have to get married or that that's somehow better, okay? Number two, uh, this is just a little homework for you guys. I just released a podcast, the Vine Conversations podcast. The, 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 the Vine Conversations and the Sermon Podcast is the same uh, the same link, the same feed. Um, and so just go on the podcast this week, and there's going to be kind of a, a podcast that deals with homosexuality, but also with singleness and how those sometimes relate for those that choose celibacy because of same-sex desires and a desire to follow King Jesus. But there's a great podcast with a, an author named Sam Alberry where we get into a lot of this stuff. And it's going to give it more thoughtful attention and time in an hour interview than I can do this morning. So I just want you to listen to that podcast. It's up right now on the website, and you can subscribe to the podcast there if you want to, okay? It's going to be a great follow-up to the sermon. Number three, we have to remember if you're married or if you, um, you know, you're married or you have kids, that loneliness is very, very real. Okay? Loneliness for single people is very, very real. And at times, for single people, it can be crushing. And so I just want us to re- try, just fight to remember that, okay? And so if you're married, if you have a biological family, you've got kids, just keep that in mind. And, you know, you're not going to solve anybody's loneliness problem, but you can probably make a dent in it, right? Just initiating being together. 
And I want to say to single folks, too, don't be afraid to initiate with a, a biological family, okay? Both parties can sometimes think, like, I can think, like, well, they're, like, the young, cool, single crowd. Why do they want to hang out with me and my kids and we're old and dorky, you know? And maybe, maybe that's true. Maybe it's not true. And, and the single person might be thinking the same way, like, well, why would they want to hang out with me, blah, 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 blah. Let's just get over that, okay, and just initiate. If you're married, if you're single, who cares? Let, let's let's uh, reject passivity and, and initiate with one another for the sake of unity in the church, okay? So our culture says that a sexless life is an unfulfilled life. Biblically, that's a lie. That should be clear. But God did create us to know him. What's the great commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So what does that mean? That means that we were created for relationship. Relationship with God, relationship with one another. And sometimes if you're single, that relationship to one another feels lacking. And you get home from work and the apartment's empty and maybe most of your friends are married and you're just like, man, am I going to sit here by myself again tonight? Like I've had that conversation with some of my single friends. So sexlessness may or may not be a painful issue for some singles, but loneliness at one time or another has been an issue for almost every single person that, that I've been friends with. So I just want to call us as a church to be aware of that, okay? Just be aware of it. Number four, I'm going to speak to um, married people in biological families. Sometimes I think we can... The, the Capital C Church, I think, has sometimes done a poor job at this, preaching this kind of subtle message that marriage and kids is everything. And so sometimes, implicitly, we can hear that and go, well, if I just have my tight little family and we're all good, then why do we need anybody else? But biblically speaking, that's not true. The Bible assumes that as a church we will be doing what we call the one another's of the New Testament. And the one another's of the New Testament don't just mean my wife and I or my kids and I. And we have our tight little family unit and, well, some people can come and go, whatever, but this is really the emphasis. But the Bible assumes that we'll be encouraging one another, praying for one another, loving one another, helping one another, serving one another, correcting one another, rebuking one another, that that's a church thing, and that implies proximity, that implies time spent. And so I'm not sure what the ratio is in terms of time spent, and that's not the point here this morning, but just I want to keep it on our radar for married and biological families. Like, let's just reject that notion that's just us and this is all we need right here, my little family like, my kids need to be exposed to other people. They need to see what it's like to be single. Maybe it'd be great to have some more single people in your house so your kids can actually see that that is a viable option for the sake of the kingdom. And they don't have to get married if they're purposeful about it, right? So we never want to send that message. I mean, honestly, this is why we structure our city groups the way we do. We don't have the married city groups and the single city groups. No, that's not how we structure it. Because the body of Christ should be integrated 
and, and, and overlapping with all different sorts of people, where maybe sometimes the only thing we have in common is the gospel. And that's challenging, right? But it's really good. It's really good. So why not bring some single folks into the intimacy of your family relationships? Number five. Again, let me talk to those that are married. Um, don't be too eager to set your single friend up on a date, okay? Now, here's, here's the danger in that. If you're super hyper about that and just like all over them about, oh, I'm going to set you up with this. Oh, I got this perfect guy over here and this coworker here. Oh, they're single. Oh, you guys would be great. Um, the problem is if you do that without being thoughtful, is you can implicitly send the message that unless you get married, you're somehow unfulfilled. You're somehow not fully flourishing as a human being. And you never want to send that message. So there's some people that want you to play matchmaker, and there's some people that don't. So how are you going to know the difference? What's the thing we always say about healthy community around here? We don't assume, we ask, right? So make no assumptions about your single friend. Just ask them. And they'll tell you, hey, do you want me to set you up on a date with someone? They say no. And you say, great, I'll back off then. They say yes, and then have fun. Match, make away. <laughs> It'll be great, right? Number six. Again, I'm talking to married people a lot here, but I think it's important for the sake of our unity. Um, married people, don't be afraid to share your struggles with those that are single, okay? So this is just kind of like in, in, the, in the natural rhythms of our community together and our relationships together, you have, a, you have someone over for dinner, and it's okay to talk honestly about how marriage is hard. Now, listen, we never, ever want to gossip about our spouse. You never want to say something to someone else about your spouse that you haven't said to them, right? That's that's a one-way ticket to uh, division in your marriage and bitterness and conflict and lots and lots of hurt. I've seen it. You don't want to go there, okay? So we never gossip about our spouse. We never, never talk about, remember what we talked about with church discipline? We never talk about the person. We talk to the person. It's the foundation of healthy marriage. But like you're having dinner, you guys are both, you know, there and, and you guys have worked through some conflict, share about it. Because I think it's important for single people to, to not have this overly romanticized vision of marriage. Like the movies, where we fall in love and we're soulmates and it's happily ever after. The movies never show you the marriage counseling ses sessions and how you're driving each other nuts and you don't know how you're going to make it and, you know, like, <laughs> within 10 days of... <laughs> Kim's going to kill me for sharing this. But uh, within 10 days of us getting married, she's bawling on the couch like, what did we do? What did we do? You know what I mean? And it was fine, and we worked through it. But marriage is hard. I'm more, let me be clear, I'm more in love with my, my wife today, 22 and a half years, than I've ever been. We've worked through some really hard things. It's not been easy. But it's good. It's really, really good. But single people should hear married people, your struggles, okay? And, you know, maybe that's, that's, for some folks, it's like, well, I think I really want to pursue the single life in light of some of that stuff. And that's okay. That's okay. 
as long as it's purposeful. And let me just close with this, number seven. I want to give a challenge to single dudes in the room or single dudes at home. If you feel called to marriage, I want you to not fear asking a girl out, all right? It's not a marriage proposal. You know, in Christian culture, there, in, when I was coming up, uh, there was a book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. And that may or may not be a good thing. I'm not going to draw a hard and fast line on that one. The Bible doesn't address that. So we're not going to draw a line that the Bible doesn't draw. So maybe you should kiss dating goodbye. Some of you need to give dating a big fat kiss. Okay? Um, assuming, you know, godliness in the process. So it's not a marriage proposal. It's a, maybe a coffee date or a glass of wine or whatever. But biblically, guys, we're called to be leaders in marriage, and initiating with a, a woman is a good way to practice that, right? And man, I just fear that, and you can, you can suss this out on your own, but I fear that social media and pornography have just cut the heart out of dating and a real-life woman. It's a real relationship, it's not a screen. A screen is not a real relationship. Take the risk with a real woman. And if she turns you down, it's okay. Your identity is secure in Christ. Right? Easier said than done. I get it. But man, we're here to support one another. So if she turns you down, you're secure. Your security is not dependent on what she thinks of you. And, and ladies, you don't have to say yes. Right? Maybe it's worth one date just to check it out. You don't have to say yes, and your identity is secure in Christ if you don't want to say yes, right? But dudes, I want to encourage you to go for it, take the first step. I, I fear that in our culture, this is just diminishing um, a man showing initiation and thoughtfulness and clear communication with a woman, And here's the thing, again, if you're single and you desire to remain single, you can communicate that and great, okay? So you might just need to tell them, hey, I'm just not into thinking about uh, dating or relationships right now or getting married. That's great. So let me close with this just to bring it around to what the Bible says for church life. So in the Old Testament, track with this now, biology was a big deal. See, God was creating a nation of people. And so for ancient Israel in the Old Testament, be fruitful and multiply was a big deal because there was to be a geographic nation where the rest of the nations of the world could look in and go, wow, that's what a kingdom of God looks like. And they're a city on a hill and they're distinct from all the nations around them, right? So make babies, Let's expand this geographic Old Testament kingdom so the world can look in and see what people living for God look like. Problem, they failed utterly. So what happens? In the New Testament, Jesus comes and he fulfills what, what ancient Israel failed to do. He fulfills it all. And so now, the emphasis moves from biology 
and physical birth to spirituality and new birth, being born again and conversion. So it's not as much about biology as it is a new spirituality through conversion, through repentance and faith in Jesus and being connected then to a local church. And so this is why our local churches more than ever should not idolize or elevate the biological family as good and beautiful as it is, but we're all family. It's a new spiritual family where Jew and Gentile can get together and be one, where black and white and whatever color can get together and be one, where married and single can get together and be one, right? That's what Jesus calls us to in the, in the new covenant, right? So this morning, let's not divide over married or single, but rather embrace this call to be a beautiful church where all are loved and included because we've been so deeply loved and included by God himself in Jesus and what he accomplished in his death and his resurrection. Amen? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we come again and ask for your help. And we thank you for your word that says that singleness for the sake of your kingdom is, is great. And I pray that um, our church, we would believe that. And so, Lord, we thank you. I just want to pray for people that are single right now, whether they're aching in loneliness or they're wondering how they're going to maximize their life for your kingdom. Lord, I just pray you would provide. I pray you would provide. And I pray that we would be a church that always um, desires to pursue a spiritual oneness that is not predicated on biology but it's predicated on repentance and faith and conversion and, and being connected to you. So God, you are our Father. And so we recognize that as our main point of unity and orientation this morning. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.